connecting to the AOC Podcast Network. Enjoy your stay. Well, welcome. Um, my guest today on Le Cadeau podcast is uh, Thomas, not Chauvin, but Covin. Correct. Like, uh, Chauvin without the H. Um, and so welcome to AOC and to Le Cadeau podcast. Thank you. Um, we are, um, we just met. Um, and as someone who studies history, I know there's not a lot about healing in history. So if you wanted to maybe just tell me what you do, you teach at the university, and, and, and just tell me something about your own personal history. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I, I do teach uh, history at the uh, University of Louisiana Lafayette. Uh-huh. Um, and um, we, uh, we have different projects. Um, I, I'm French, coming from, from Normandy, and I've been uh, in uh, Lafayette for four years now. So um, we do a lot of, you know, European history, uh, public history, which is uh, something uh, very important uh, at UL. So doing uh, public history, history for the public, these kind of uh, events. Uh huh. Wow. When you first arrived, did you arrive here from France or did you live somewhere else in the United States? Uh, I lived for a few months in, in Michigan. But uh, we pretty much moved from, from France to, uh, to uh, Louisiana um, in 2013. And so you say, we you have a family? Mm-hmm. I have a wife and two kids. Wow. And so how did it feel? Did you feel a, a French connection over here? Uh, yes, yes and no. It's not, it's not as obvious as it could seem. You know, we, we always talk about... Uh, French in Louisiana. Um, well, if you if you walk the street or if you talk to people, if you listen to radio, it's not that obvious. Um, so <laughs> not that many people speak uh, French yet. So um, of course there are some you know French traditions in, in Cajun Creole native, um, and um, yes, it's it's a, quite different from the other part of the U.S. I've been to. Yeah, it is. That's what they say. I'd like to ask you, what is public history? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a it's a way of doing history, so it's not it's not a topic. It's more a, it's more a way of doing history that involves the public. So it could be um, a committee event, could be uh, any aspect of history where the public has a voice. So it's not only historians telling things to the public. Uh-huh. It's it much more. Uh, party battery process in which you have different people um, working for, for, for public history. So for, to give you examples, that could be um, um, history done in museums, uh, history done on, on radio, podcast, as you're doing. Um, so it involves the public. It's also a history that um, you know, a large public can access. So again, could be a radio, could be museums, uh, exhibits, could be um, you know history on on websites. This kind of history. Well, when you say public history, does that involve sociology well, as a subject? I mean, 
again, it, it could be about anything. It's not a topic. So it's okay. more a way of doing history. So you can do public history about everything. Uh, I do it for the French traditions in Louisiana, but you can do a public history about uh, history of women in, in Louisiana or, or you know, sociology as, as a topic. Why not? Um, so, again, it's not a topic. It's more a way That's of how doing you do it. Yes. Wow, that's so interesting. Well, I'm originally from Scott, Louisiana, and there was um, something on the wall, like a, an affiche, a, a, a framed piece about the Begnaud family saying that we came from Le Point Nord, which means the North Point in Normandy. So maybe we're cousins. Let's just start like that. <laughs> I've never been to Normandy. But, but I have been to um, Paris and southern France one year. I did a study with um, UL France. So if someone takes a course with you, is it a course because they're necessarily studying history or can it also be something they take just because it broadens their horizon as a um, an most, elective? Most of my students are not history major. Right. So uh, when you teach history, most of, most of your courses are for students who um, they may have to take a history class right. so they're here because they have to or just because they're they're interested in history while they're doing you know engineering or nursing and they, they want to know more about history um, most of the undergraduate courses are like this have a minority of history students graduate courses so for the the master program right. are only uh, history students so those courses are different uh, but yes, I have, a diff have different profiles for, for students, uh, different majors. So some know a lot about history, some know very little. Um, so yes, different kind of students doing, uh, doing different kind of history. Well, I just want to thank you for saying yes today. Um, we just met today. Um, I would say you were brave. And um, I'm asking about healing healing is the topic le cadeau would be the gift of healing and there's not a lot of history written about that anywhere i remember going to new orleans and there was some uh, exhibit of native americans uh, nothing on it or in it referred to healing not much about the history of french in louisiana has had a lot of history um, there's some botany that has been studied, some plants. Um, um, the largest historical document I've ever seen was uh, a thesis written in 1933 by Charles Bienvenu as an LSU student, and he was studying language, and he interviewed, there were about 500 like recipes or ways of healing in uh, St. Martin Parish. And he was studying, before the word Creole became a word that we commonly used, he was studying the Negro-French dialect of St. Martin Parish. And, and from that, he listed some plants that were used. So um, I, I understand the lack of history um, of healing unless it's been a tradition that's been carried within a culture, there's not a lot that's written about it. If for no other reason because it is sacred and you don't share what is sacred with the public, 
it's like a non-public thing. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm really grateful that you said yes. And anything that I ask, I understand uh, you don't have a lot of, to pull from, <laughs> even though you know a lot of history. So um, given that, I'm very, very grateful that you're here. And so maybe we can just talk about... Um, did you know any healers in Normandy as a child? Even that. Um, when I ask people from France, they always say, yes, there are healers, mostly in southern France and mostly in the country. So I got the sense from the French people that I've spoken to about this, and I've never done real research, just people that I happen to run into, that it's... It's southern and rural. Um, do you have any, any, anything at all about what you've learned about healing here, or any any questions? Well, I'm not from the south, and I'm from the city, so I'm. So you <laughs> that, don't know. That may, that may explain why I, I didn't know any healers. Um, well, I guess it's it's a form of of medicine that people um, use in, in. I mean mostly in the past. Uh, I'm not sure if there are still some healers in France. It's not a tradition that is very popular, so it may have been in, in the, the past, but um, it's, you know, for sure less popular nowadays. Um, it's also all, you know, all tradition. People talk about it, but they don't write about it. Exactly. That could explain why you don't have much history about, you know, a normal tradition and, and practice. And as you said, it's, it's mostly a private sacred practice that people do not share right so uh another reason why you don't have much you know history about it i mean written history i guess you have interviews and uh, you know all history of of healing and i know that vermilionville has um, a healing garden that they they try to um, recreate uh so I'm, i'm sure they 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 know about healers and and healing as traditions in louisiana well, the healing, the plants from the healing garden came from the thesis mm-hmm. that was that I spoke of. Um, I was gifted this thesis when I gave a presentation about healing in Lafayette at the Miles Perrette Center, which uh, they, it's the Miles Perrette Services Center. They serve the population in Acadiana who has cancer. And there was a woman there, I don't know that she was a volunteer or actually hired, and she said, well, I have something that I think you would be interested in. So I said, okay, thank you. I'm interested in everything. And she gave me this thesis, written in 1933 by Charles Bienvenu. And being a graduate in anthropology, by no way do I think of myself as an anthropologist. So I called... um, Dr. Brasser, Ray Brasser, and, and gave him the, the thesis. And so he said, well, we'll have to ask his permission. And I'm thinking, if it was written in 1933, are you kidding? Well, it just so happened he was 100. And Ray spoke with him, and he gave Ray permission for us to use, I don't know, to, to use the document. So then Ray was in touch with Bill Fontenot, who knows everything about Louisiana plants, and the master gardeners who have since 
created this program, and it was wonderful to be there the day that it was dedicated. But the data from which that came is just raw data. There's not how do you do this. There's not a lot of um, how many seeds of what, how many leaves of what. Um, That was like common knowledge because at one point the people here were connected to nature and the earth. And I laughed at Bill Fontenot because he was saying on the day that the garden was dedicated, it's hard to plant weeds and make them look good (laughs) because the plants came from the pastures and they were weeds. They weren't things necessarily that one cultivated and planted as an ornamental in the yard. So that was um, that was quite interesting. And it's exciting to know that maybe through that garden and people who come to it with an interest, we can create a bridge between where healing has come from and, and where it exists or where it might go. Um, do you know, have you ever heard of something? I had a gentleman to stay with me once. Um, he came to dance. He was part of a dance group. Um, he was a, a rabouteur. Do you know the word? Yeah, we use the same word in... What, what is that? I never met... We don't have that here, but we have that in France. What is a rabouteur? That was the closest thing to a healer. Yeah. You're smiling. Yeah. You, they can't see you smile, so I know this is not easy to talk about. <laughs> Yeah, this, this is um, this is the words that I used to hear my my grandmother uh, talking about uh, rebouteur, uh, slightly close to rebouteur. Rebouteur is uh, someone who makes you uh, good again. So um, he's not a doctor. Um, he or she is not a doctor. Um, um, you know, early 20th century people didn't have money to go to the doctor, especially in the countryside. So they use um, the people with um, knowledge about medicine and herbs. So exactly. it's close to, to healer. Um, not always efficient, but, uh, you know, the closest to, um, you know, doctor that we could find in villages. Um, so I've heard the word, never met any um, in France, but that's, you know, it goes back to what you said at the beginning, uh, mostly the, the, the countryside, the south, I don't know about, but... Uh, yeah, this those people exist. Uh, I'm not sure if they still exist, but they existed in, in France. Robuteux, yes. Sorry. Right. He came, I believe they were here for a festival international, and, and they were dressed in, uh, like, as paysans, as rural, mm-hmm. and they danced, and they wore clogs. And this was quite some time ago. And, and, and he was chosen to stay with me because the people knew I did healing work, and so... We had a nice visit. But even when two people who do this work meet, there's not much dialogue. You do what you do, and I do what I do. And it's like, um, um, there's just, how do you even talk about this? Much less, how does it become part of history? I also have a friend that I met whose name is Greyhawk. Perkins, and uh, he he lives near New Orleans, I, I believe in Mandeville, and he used to come to Vermilionville because I worked there years ago, off and on. And I knew he did healing, and he knew I did healing, but we could never talk about it. And so it's bizarre for me to ask you 
to tell me about the history of healing when, <laughs> like, we don't even talk about it. How do you even put that into words? It's amazing. I, I, when you read about a Native American who does healing, you often read his own story because there are no rules or laws as to how one does this, but at least in the Native American culture, there is a person called a medicine man. In our culture, in the, in the French Louisiana culture, um, you had a specific prayer for a specific ailment, and, and, that's, and, and that's how you served. So the gift was shared among members of the community. Mm. Same in uh, some Latin American country where you have the shaman who um, deals with medicine. But again, the, the, knowledge, the knowledge is transmitted uh, not to the entire group, but to some um, selected people. So the exactly. shaman transmits his, his knowledge to, uh, to the, the next shaman, the shaman to be. Um, so you don't share those stories. And I guess theaters are about, you know, practice you do things you don't talk about it it's not the point so um, again that could be another reason why we don't have <laughs> much knowledge about it exactly and and what about the curandero have you heard of that uh, nope from what I gather the curandero is something in South America uh, maybe more like a traitor than a shaman because because prayers are the um the vehicle through which the healing happens. And I know that um, today science is starting to show us the value of prayer and teach through quantum physics, but I'm not a physicist, uh, how, how vibration is actually what works as the healer like the molecular structure has vibrational elements because all the parts are moving. And we understand vibration happens through color and vibration happens through sound and vibration happens through prayer in whatever sense that prayer works, like holding a sacred space. And so the catch-all word for healing now would be vibrational medicine which would include prayer and include like um, uh, people are using tuning forks as, as part of healing, um, using the energy that runs through your body and knowing and being able to measure the energy. So whether you're actually praying as in from a culture or you're just sensing the, the energy coming from you or, or, or from the client, there's a, there's a holding of a sacred space for the energy to become balanced. And, and that energy is referred to as source so that it doesn't have to have a, a religious name or even a religious connotation. And um, so if I wanted to study the history of healing, where would I go? You know, because people ask me, in my own family, my grandfather was the traiteur, but his family actually came from France. They came from the Savoie region, um, a small town called Avrecieux. 
And so here the Tretars were Native Americans and African Americans and European Americans who all spoke French. And they would hand this prayer for that specific, to heal earache, to stop the bleeding. And only in my life have I met one person who knew a Tretar in France and called them that. And he was a chef that had come to Orneville. And one of his parents did this, but I never followed up. So where do you go to research or to find out about healing that would be in Europe that may have come here, or just any healing? Do you have any thoughts? How do you research what you don't know anything about? It's a good question. Uh, I don't know, I guess I think it's would... a good question. I'm like curious. I'm asking yeah. you stuff. <laughs> I guess you could start talking to people who are still healing, I mean healers. Um, you know, you interview them, you ask them more about the practice. Um, and I'm sure that other people before us have been interested in, you know, healers. So you may find other, um, you know, interviews, um, people talking to healers um, in the 20th century. Uh, for this oral history collection, you, you may find more, you know, sources about about the history of healing i did find a few sources at the university here but my question would be how would i connect that to what happened in europe before we got here because the the prayers are in french and i i, I, I don't know it's kind of interesting when you think about it yeah i mean it's already difficult to trace history of healers here so to trace it back to europe be quite I mean you could I guess you could I'm not, I don't know anything about it but you may find some uh, comparative and comparison with other traditions in France or Europe uh, rabouteur um, or healers this is an old practice uh, you know not limited to Louisiana or the West exactly um, but then you know so you you could find different examples of feeders, I guess, in, in Europe and, uh, you know, compare and eventually find some network of families uh, migrating from Europe, if you're lucky. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I never really thought about it. I did some studies here um, uh, when, I was, when I was studying uh, to get the degree. And uh, I have a degree in anthropology. I did uh, some studies on the transmission of the gift And it was really interesting. But I'm also asked, you know, where did this begin? Well, I know we didn't start it. But other than what has developed here among the peoples who lived here, I don't know. So you're inspiring me to go. Now I have to do some research. Yeah, my lack of knowledge is inspiring. It's very, very (laughs) inspiring. (laughs) I hope you feel the same about your students' lack of knowledge because if we all want to learn, like Matt was talking about, students of the world, that's kind of exciting. So um, instead of historically speaking, in today's world, we see people talk about um, energy work. Um, We see a lot of herbs being sold, a lot of essential oils being sold. We we talk about... um, alternative or or complementary methods I, I guess my interest would be to build a bridge from 
the Tretarwe or before to to what's happening now, so that um, it it can be. Uh, I hate to say a respected topic, but because it's sacred, doesn't mean it can't be honored. Um, and then I said, or I thought. It's kind of a feminine thing, this healing. So we have a lot of history about war and fighting and building and, uh, you know, going forward with aggressive sort of things. But there's less healing about what is nurturing and what is life-giving in a way. Like childbirth and nursing and healing would be considered feminine. Could that be why there is less known about it, besides the fact that it was sacred? Do you have any thoughts on a historical level about why there's not a lot of information? Is that true? Because I think it doesn't make it through true. I mean, you know more about healers than I do, but the few I've met in Louisiana were men, not women. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, I think you're right about the healing traditions has seen something uh, feminine. Right. Um, because of, you know, nature being also represented as a, as a woman, not as a man. Uh, but I, I, I think that the, the, the lack of history comes more from the practice itself. So it's an oral tradition, private tradition. Right. Um, and so most of people, I guess, who studied the history of, you know, healers were not historians, but more anthropologists, folklorists, um, who, you know, talk more to, to people and learn more from all history and interviews and uh, practice going to communities than, than historians who tend to stick to written archives and um, written sources. So that may also explain why we don't know much about, right. about the healers. And I think, too, uh, this is only my own view, and it's sort of a what what I have seen or or, or what I have come to understand. That there was a time when the knowledge of the plants that are at Vermilionville that grew everywhere, and like everybody knew about that. A healer didn't know about plants that healed, because we all had and lived in nature, and we all. Um, used what was around us to help us get better before hospitals. And as you say, when there were fewer doctors at all. And then the people who had the, the prayer or the gift of healing here, that was specific, but the whole, the whole pharmacology here, the whole natural pharmacology, that was, that, that always existed so when you, when you, then you get into medicine as we know it, and you go to the hospital, and you're going to get penicillin, and it, we believed and hoped it could cure everything. And, and having a baby in the hospital in a more sterile environment, we sort of turned our backs on things that may have been helpful. And so now... How do we gain what we left but honor where we're going? That's a whole other. I bet there's a lot of history of medicine, as we know. Yeah. But sometimes 
the people that first went into this medicine came from this healing tradition or that the essence of that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that would be a place of study. Well, yeah, um, sure. I mean, there, there's a lot of history about medicine. I think you're right about. I think in the 20th century, people um, started to be more expert in in their in their field, so that um, you become a doctor and you do medicine, you become uh, a farmer and you you farm, you become an employee. And um, whereas people, at least in the 19th century, tend to be more have a marginal knowledge, so that you you right. know about a bit of everything. Um, but uh, if we go back to medicine, I mean. Hygiene, you know, there's been a lot of um, progress through through that. Um, even though eaters have helped, um, we, there's these two, you know, feelings today. One is that we distinguish too much between a doctor and and and, and medicine and science and and popular knowledge. Right. So we we tend to. Um, uh, to distinguish too much, I guess, between the two. Uh, but there's also this uh, feeling of not trusting science anymore uh, in the sense that, uh, you know, we we uh, feel that we need to go back to more um, essential uh, and, and natural, um, right. you know, concept, which is perhaps true, but we should not forget that thanks to medicine, now we, I mean, Mortality, uh, pregnancy is no longer um, a major threat for women, which exactly. is not the case like 60 years, 70 years ago. Um, so also distinguishing between uh, uh, medicine and, and popular um, knowledge and, uh, you know, making for, being for, being more favorable to uh, popular science and Refusing medicine is not the solution either. Exactly. Um, my doctors are my friends. Hmm. Okay, like I see, I, I'm a cancer survivor, so I see an oncologist on a regular basis. I hope I never need him again, but if I do, I have his number, you know. And if I'm in, have some sort of accident and I need to have my bone set or I need stitches, I'm going to the emergency room. It, it's time for us to bridge again. I see a bridge and and I'm not sure how, but but that would be an effort for, for, for people on both sides of that fence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, please continue. But yeah, I see what you're no, saying. I think, I think you're right. Um, um, and uh, this, this is perhaps why history of eaters could, um, could help um, rediscover, um, you know, popular medicine that may still be useful um, without, you know, uh, refusing uh, what we call modern science and modern medicine, so um, there's way to um, to um, creating bridges. I think so. Them. We can use both of them. They're they're both helpful. I know one of the things that um, managed care has done to hospital stays is you go in with the diagnosis, and you can only be here for 1.5 days. And that is kind of like because because prior to managed care, we understood that resting 
was a part of healing. And we tend to have erased that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something else that, that conceivably could be brought back into medicine itself. Mm-hmm. Like, you may take longer to heal than I would take longer to heal, you know, than I would take to heal at all. But that uh, time and and rest and sleep is is important. And today we tend to to make the busyness be more important. And when you get ill, you just want to get well so you can get busy again. And we don't own rest as part of healing, like we did at one time. Not to say that uh, you know two or three nights cost more than one point five. So, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, you know you have to pay the bill and uh, health. In the U.S., is very expensive. Oh my goodness! Uh, yes, coming from coming from where I come from, <laughs> so um, there's also this issue of um, cost exactly. and benefit, and uh, you know, in the end, what if it you know what matters more, your sure. rest and being safe and uh, healthy, or you know. But even when you're not hospitalized, you want the cold to go away so that you can go to work. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I think we just sort of have to get a little wiser that things take the, your body's going to heal itself, kind of no matter what you do. My uncle used to laugh. He said, "You know, if you have a cold, you're going to get well in two weeks. If you have a cold and you go to the doctor, you'll be fine in 14 days." Okay, so he was saying it doesn't matter what you do. Things take time, and I guess that's probably the, mm-hmm. the the point for us to look at that more and not be so impatient with, because it's a process. Yeah. So that's kind of like yeah, that then that the whole thing of healthcare in France and the healthcare here is. Um, having lived in both countries, do you do you get a big feeling that there's a different way of caring for each other? Do you feel that the people in France go to the doctor more or maybe are healthier because it's more readily available? I don't know. It's a difficult question. Um, uh, it's not trying to be loaded either. No. It's, it's about the topic. Um, I'm not sure if medicine is it's better in one place or the other. What I can say is that more people can afford to go to the doctor. Exactly. And because so, they do, do you feel they're healthier maybe? Or they can just go more? That would be good? Well, um, you don't have to worry um, if you can pay the doctor or not because most of the you know health insurance uh, helps you paying for, for the doctor. So this is a relief, especially when you um, age. Because right. the more you age, the more, you know... Um, I'm getting closer to that age. Yeah, because you're going to have to uh, <laughs> pay. And this is this is a worry that I've never encountered in, in, in Europe. I mean, at least in the Western part of Europe. Right. Um, whereas here, um, well, that's that's a big issue. So on that sense, yes. Uh, health is... is um, well, I don't know if people are more well, healthy in, 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 um, in, in France, but... Um, they're perhaps less sick. There you go. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> that sounds really good. Um, and what about food? Mm-hmm. What about the diet of America and the diet of France? I see you're laughing. They don't have the advantage of I'm seeing. I'm making you laugh. <laughs> 
Well, Can I you guess address we, that currently? Louisiana is, is a bit different from, from the U.S. on that, on that part. Um, uh, the first thing you, you see coming from Europe is, the, you know, yeah, food. Food is different. Uh, not that much the, the quality of food, but the quantity. Um, we don't <laughs> have the refill, for example, policy. Oh, this is true. And especially for soda, which is a huge mistake to, you know, it's a not a healthy thing. Refill, yeah. Right? So again, Louisiana is a bit different because of the mixity of influences. So you have better food, um, better approaches, food. Um, but even our plate lunches are kind of a lot mm-hmm. of food in a plate mm-hmm. lunch. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. This abundance of food, which has been, uh, you know, a privilege for for a long time, may now be a uh, a curse, right? Because you exactly. Um, you tend to have access to food and um, and you know we're not supposed to eat that much food especially when we drive every day I guess the, uh, the adage less is best comes to comes to mind you know mm-hmm. yeah that that makes sense but um, in both in both France and in the United States is there there's also move for more of the um, like farm to table and, and, and fresh foods. Yeah, slow food. Yeah. The slow, slow food, food process that started, um, not sure when it started, but it's just the opposite of fast food, right? Exactly. So um, slow food, taking time to eat, um, not, you know, to go food or takeaways, but uh, spending time to cook with good product, paying attention to, uh, you know, what has been uh, grown in favorable conditions. We'll, biological, bio food or organic food, as we call it here. Uh, yeah, the slow food process started a few years ago and becomes more and more uh, popular with people who, in the direction you just said about spending more time to care about what you should care about. Exactly. Um, so that that's something that um, I think tends to become here as well, something people pay attention to. Uh, people become more aware of the danger of, you know, uh, junk food and, and fast food and um, so that's that's something that um, go, going back to healers um, I guess something that the healer didn't have to deal with in the early 20th century the abundance of food and uh, and too much uh, junk food but that's connected to um, to health just the lack of health today mm-hmm. yeah it really it really is wow well I think um like I'm so inspired. Like now, I have to do some research. So I might call you to do some historical research on healing in Europe, and I may have to go back to Nunu's and and ask what the chef's name was and see if I can be in touch with him. So, uh, how do you see historically? I don't know what I'm doing when I say I'm I'm building a bridge. I'm building a bridge. I, I want to honor the the. The Tretar traditions that that are part of my culture, but but the community is not the same. We used to know everybody, and we don't know everybody. And you know, we didn't have fast foods a f- couple of generations ago, and now we do. How do you see? Um, how do you see when you want to continue something, but it has to continue? It can't continue as it was. When I do get this history. And I build this bridge. How how do you see us continuing? What can be done to to encourage our continued healing 
as little as we know about it. Do you have any thoughts about that, historically speaking? I mean, well, it's hard. I don't think we have this power. <laughs> I don't think we have this control. I mean, healing will uh, continue or not, you know, dependent of what we do. Uh, I mean, the, there's a system, and, and you know, that works, um, and that makes things change. Um, the power of people to change that system is 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 limited, um, and healing healers, as far as I understand, in 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 France or in Europe, is disappearing because of the modernization of you know administration, hospitals, medicine, people, you know, moving from countryside to cities, um, and if you move to cities, you lose some part of your traditions exactly. um, so I'm not sure what you can do to um, to you know, continue uh, the history of failure what you can do is perhaps to help reconnect the traditions and the knowledge from from healers to um, other you know health practitioners uh, that, right. that that could be done um, and um, that could be useful Wow now have something to do. I was inspired. Now have something to do. <laughs> I'd like to thank you, um, you know, for coming and and spending this time um, to be to be with me at AOC. And um, I understand that you're you've been here at the university, but this is going to be your last semester. Now, where where are your adventures going to take you? I'm going to uh, Colorado. Oh wow! This, this fall, um, I will keep working on the, you know, my studies on French traditions in Louisiana. But um, my public history uh, project will definitely change. Since well, I'm will you be with... talking about the legalization of medical marijuana and stuff? And <laughs> that's a healing thing. That's a healing thing. Um, yes, that's actually something very popular. Since every time I tell people I'm going to Colorado, they tell me, well, this is about, you know, health and uh, healing. Exactly. Because there is, there is a modern mm-hmm. need for and curiosity of, of natural healing that, that didn't exist. I think we're starting to sense we may have left something behind. So there is an interest I've been invited to talk about healing and and how many times I thought my grandpa would laugh at me if he thought somebody asked me to go talk to them about what he did to serve the people. That would be hysterical. And and maybe it is that the everyday needs to be honored and learned in institutions that didn't exist when all we had was everyday knowledge. Mm. Maybe that's another bridge. Because, you know, finding things in a thesis, if you have thesis and dissertations on the shelves, but nobody has access to that, wow, that's kind of a, a limiting, not a waste, I hate to use the word waste, but it limits all that work, and we have a lot to learn from what people have already done. That's why we develop public history as a way to remove the books from the shelf and to make knowledge more public and more, you know, participatory. Wow. Well, maybe we'll see each other again. Thank you, Bill. Thank you.
Bye-bye, and thank you for listening to uh, Le Cadeau podcast with my guest, uh, Thomas Cave. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Le Cadeau podcast. I'm your host, Becca Begno. Matt Roberts produced the show. Thanks to AOC Community Media for the use of their facilities. For information about AOC, you can visit aocinc.org. Thank you very much. Merci beaucoup. The views and opinions expressed on this or any program on the AOC Podcast Network do not reflect the views and opinions of Lafayette Consolidated Government, Cox Communications, LUS Fiber, AOC Community Media, its board of directors, or its staff. To learn more about becoming a community media producer, visit us on the web at aocinc.org.